Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and we open up your word and what we long to do is be transformed into the image of the Son. Spirit, we ask that you would do that in our midst today. I pray that as we look at the book of Mark in advance of our reading this week, Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts today. And then as we read this book, continue that transformation throughout this week. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, one of my favorite things to do with my children is to look at clouds on a summer day. Uh, I've had a lot of kids and a lot of opportunities to lay in the grass and just look up at the clouds. And I like to let my creativity go, you know, uh, wild as I look up in the clouds. And I'll sit there with a kid and we're looking at the clouds and I'll say, you know, I see... uh, duck riding a motorcycle and or whatever and they'll really, and it's funny because they'll all, they'll start to do this all the time they'll like turn around and try to get the right perspective by flipping the image to see it to see what i'm seeing or they'll see something and i'll and you'll be twisting my head around sometimes you need a different perspective to see things the right way um professor peter thompson in the 1980s uh made famous a picture of margaret thatcher to illustrate this point. Uh, He put this picture of Margaret Thatcher, and you can see it up here. And uh, when you look at Margaret Thatcher upside down, you can notice sort of a difference between the two pictures. If you look, you're like, yeah, something's different, but your brain doesn't really grasp the extent of it until you flip it upside down. And then you can see (laughs) that all her eyes and her mouths have been photoshopped and turned upside down. And then it becomes really evident that something's different. You see, sometimes we just need a different perspective. Sometimes we need to flip things upside down to see them properly. And that's what we're doing in the book of Mark. So as, as uh, Pastor Jeff already highlighted, we are in NT60 right now, 60 days through the New Testament. And uh, we're sending out text reminders. Doug, you can throw that number up there. And uh, if you want a text reminder each day of what you're supposed to read, and I just encourage you, if you fell behind already, it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, maybe you can get caught up, or maybe you just say, you know, I'm going to skip ahead and start in the book of Mark uh, so that, you know, we stay back, and I'll catch up later on the rest. Um, I just encourage you that wherever you are, if you've fallen behind, hang in there with us and uh, read the, the Gospel of Mark with us. And I, I can promise you that the Word of God is transformative in our lives, and you'll really enjoy this as you do this with us. Well, last week we looked at the book of Matthew in advance of reading the book of Matthew, and, and I'm hopeful that as you read through, if you, if you were doing NT60 with us and as you read along, I was ho- I'm hopeful that you found the concepts of the kingship of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And so last time we talked about how the kingship of Jesus is breaking into this world. It started at the resurrection and it continues now. And, and one of the things we talked about was that idea. This week we're going to enter into the Gospel of Mark And in Mark, we're going to see that the gospel writer wants us to serve like Jesus. That the theme or the the idea of the book of Mark, whereas Matthew is this idea of of the the kingdom of Jesus and as his kingship, Mark really shows us the implications of his kingship. If Jesus is king, it makes a difference for how you and I interact in that kingdom. One of the differences in the kingdom is we serve like Jesus. Matthew talks about the phrase, the kingdom of the heavens, a lot. 
as you read through the book of Matthew, you've seen that. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, that phrase is called the kingdom of God. And there's a difference there. What Mark has in mind by the kingdom of God is this idea that the kingdom is a kingdom upside down. And to understand Jesus and his kingdoms, we have to flip things on their head. And this is what Mark wants us to know about Jesus. He wants you and I to serve like Jesus. And that's a flip on its head of the things that we see in this world normally. As we look at the first uh, gospel of Mark, first of all, we need to understand some things about the writer of the gospel of Mark. And some things about who he is. Uh, The gospel, who was Mark? Mark was a protege of the Apostle Peter. So Mark sort of was an understudy of Peter. And we know this, uh, that Mark got his information for the writing of the Gospel of Mark from his relationship with Peter. One of the, the early church fathers, Papias, writing in about the year 110. So we're uh, about 110, Papias noted, and this was probably about 30 to 40 years after the Gospel of Mark was written. He noted, he says, Mark, having become the interpreter of the apostle Peter, wrote down accurately whatever he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord Jesus. We get this. Mark and Peter were close. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, Peter refers to Mark as his son. So Mark and Peter spent a lot of time together, and they were very close. Mark listened to Peter. And you can imagine spending that much time together so that Mark would call himself, or Peter would refer to Mark as his son, that, that Mark had a lot of chances to hear Peter listen and tell stories about his interaction with Jesus. The gospel of Mark then really is, in reality, the gospel of the apostle Peter. Mark is reflecting on his experience with Peter and writing these things down. So an, an apostle tied to this to this text, gave this text validity in the early church's eyes and helped uh, it, it, they recognize that this indeed was part of the canon. Who was Mark? Mark was really a protege of Peter. So when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, you need to understand that this is the Gospel really from Peter's perspective. Now, what's the book itself about? When we look at, we, it's not only a question of who was the author, but what is this book about? The book of Mark is really a book, as we're going to notice, is a book about service. Mark is the earliest of the Gospels. We have four Gospels, four reflections on the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels simply because they're, they all tell a lot of the stories. In fact, Mark is the earliest. When Luke and Matthew wrote their Gospels, it's very evident that they had the Gospel of Mark open in front of them. They were using this text as they wrote theirs. And they didn't even use proper MLA citation when they did it. I mean, they just did it. They just used this gospel, but a a lot of uh, the text. In fact, uh, 60% of the gospel of Matthew is quoted right out of the book of Mark. It's taken right out of the book of Mark. And so what we have here is really the earliest of the gospels. In fact, a lot of gospel, uh, or a lot of historians and a lot of Bible scholars have kind of looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke and assumed, okay, Mark is the earliest gospel, and there's some other document floating around here they call the Q document, not to be confused with you Star Trek fans uh, who know what I'm talking about there. But but a a Q document was another document that they were using as a source in this. 
So the book of Mark becomes the earliest. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Mark, when you, look, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice it has a very abrupt beginning and a very abrupt end. Mark just gets to the point. He doesn't have time for this birth narrative and all this stuff. He just says, the beginning of the Gospel, let's go. And he gets straight to John the Baptist. And so we see this abrupt or sharp beginning and very abrupt ending. Later on, we'll notice how abrupt the end is. It's like the resurrection and boom, we're done. No great commission, no ascension. It's just, Mark is sort of just the facts, ma'am, if you get to it. You know, it's just, Mark is saying, here's everything I wrote down. Now, the context in which Mark wrote this gospel is interesting. There was a massive Christian persecution going on in the 60s. Not the 1960s, but the actual 60s. Uh, Nero was the emperor of Rome. And you remember that in Nero uh, is known as the great persecutor of the church. Uh, in fact, many historians have thought that Nero burned Rome or caused Rome to be burned. And whatever the case, he, he used that as an opportunity. He used Christians as a scapegoat. And, and a massive persecution of the church began in the, in the 60s. Now, the Romans, it, also in the 60s, what was happening is, is Jerusalem was rebelling against Rome. And so Rome came in in the late 60s, 69, uh, they, they marched in to try to restore some peace. And in 70, they just ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem. And so they destroyed it. Mark is written as a reminder, in all of this persecution of Christians, Mark is written as a reminder of Peter's thoughts of the Lord. And the message here is that in the face of persecution, we must remember that we are citizens of another kingdom. A kingdom that works differently than the world we see around us. A kingdom that is flipped upside down. So the purpose of Mark then is to present to us a divine servant who has come for the forgiveness of sins. There's a key verse in Mark, I think many have identified, it wouldn't be just me, but I'd say oftentimes writers of, of, of ancient works put their most important idea right at the center of their work. A lot of times we leave the most important idea for the end, or a lot of times we'll put it right at the beginning, and then you only have to read the first chapter of the book and you can let the rest go. But the gospel writers seem to put their, Mark seems to put his key idea right in the middle of it, and it's Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man, who's, he's referring to Jesus himself there, Jesus is. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That verse sets the tone for the entire Gospel of Mark. Mark is presenting the kingdom of Jesus, and it's saying it's a kingdom upside down. And the Romans work one way, self first, they say. The leaders of Gentiles, he says, work the same way. But Christians are to embody the ideals of a kingdom that is flipped upside down from the kingdom of this world. And so as we talk about a kingdom upside down today, it's, it's a real challenge as I'm preaching to encapsulate all the thoughts of an entire book of Scripture into one sermon. Um, but what I did is I focused on this center chapter, the center section of Mark, this section from really about chapter 8, uh, verse 27, where we see Peter's confession of Christ through uh, the end of that middle section would be in chapter 10, verse, um, verse 45, that kind of key verse, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be, to be served, but to serve. And so what we're going to see in this center section, I think, is several ideas that the gospel writer here, Mark, 
wants us to get about the kingdom of Jesus. If Matthew set out the kingdom of Jesus as king, as that's what we've learned last week, Mark sort of wants us to understand that the kingdom of God is flipped upside down. And the first thing that you see there is that the kingdom upside down means power upside down. The kingdom of God, Mark wants us to know that servant leadership, that serving like Jesus means that in the heavenly equation, power is flipped upside down to what you normally expect. We talk about power in our world in terms of a corporate ladder. And you know, if you look at successes at the top, and uh, if you can climb the corporate ladder as high as you can climb, the higher you climb, the more power you gain. And so it's the idea that the people at the top of the ladder are the important ones. And they're looking down the ladder at everyone else. And it's, you want to be at the top because you can tell everyone under you what to do. You can control the shots. You're the one who's powerful. And so we talk about climbing the, the, the uh, corporate ladder. You know, I, I was, it's interesting. This week I was talking to a security guard at, uh, at one of our uh, big corporate corporations here in, uh, in Des Moines. You know, we have a number of them. And, and his job is simply to work the, the front gate. And uh, he said it's amazing at the particular building he's at, he has a lot of really important people. And he says, he goes, I used to work in another building and there weren't very many important people at that building. But at the building I'm at now, there's a lot of really important people. And I don't like it so much because they don't treat me very well. Isn't that in- interesting? That's sort of what we would expect. You know, the people who are important and at the top would look down and say, well, you're just a security guard. You're, you're a nuisance for me get out of my way, let me in the building, here's my badge and ID, don't tell me to stop. Um, it's sort of this idea of our world. In, in Mark chapter 10, there's this fantastic recounting of what happens when uh, James and John come to Peter. And in, in that, this is such a, a great thing. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, verse 35, and they say, teacher, We want you to do whatever we ask. Isn't that a great thing to ask of Jesus? Do for me whatever I'm going to ask you. And Jesus, being very wise, says, well, what do you want first? And they say, let one of us sit at your right and at the other, on the other at your left in this. I mean, isn't this a great question? Because the right and the left, of course, in Jewish culture were the seats of power. They're not asking to usurp Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, you know, clearly you're at the top of the ladder. But we'd like to be rungs two and three, right below you. And so, so, you know, and you can imagine the other disciples aren't too thrilled with this, right? You know, there's, there's ten more of them are going, hey, what about us? I don't want to be number, you know, four or five. You know, and there's sort of this wrestling about who's the greatest. It reminds me of, sort of a, of a power triangle here. And if you were to look at a pyramid um, and you were to put the powerful at the top, the powerful are at the top of the pyramid, and they're few, and they lord their authority over them. This is what Jesus says. He says in verse 42 there, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave. Do you see what Jesus does with power? He flips it over. He flips the pyramid over. 
And, on the, and he takes the powerful and he puts them at the bottom. Jesus does this all the time. The kingdom of God flips things upside down. Mark tells us that in Jesus inverted the system of power. True power comes from giving your life away to others. Um, you know, when uh, I got called into ministry when I was, to full-time ministry, serving the church when I was 16 years old, and it was a very steady, clear call in my life all throughout uh, Bible college, continuing through seminary. I was just serving the church, serving the church. And people like, what do you want to do when you grow up? When I, you know, at 16 years old, I said, I want to be a pastor. And, and I want to serve the church. I love the church. I just want to serve the church. And, uh, and that sounds great in theory. But someone once told me that uh, you'll know you're a servant when people try start treating you like one, right? You know? And uh, this week, uh, like, it, it's just like the, you know, it was one of those weeks where uh, just lost stuff happening. And it's just like there, there's never a moment to just stop, you know? And uh, I sat there, and I just had a temper tantrum moment. You know, my wife can testify to this because uh, <laughs> she just patiently listens to me. But I just like, I just want to not work for a minute. I just want one day, one day where I don't have to serve anyone. And like, you know, it's just then I start reading through the gospel of Mark in preparation for this. And I read about this idea that if you want to be great, serve. Like, oh, Jesus, you got me right where you want me. Dang it. I want the, I want the other side. I want the pyramid. I want to be at the top. And I want to be able to tell everyone, hey, I'm too busy to be bothered. You all do this stuff. But, you know, and I laugh because I'm, I'm in the wrong occupation for this. Because, you know, it's like, you know, the church is a bunch of people coming together. And I don't have, you know, 150 employees that I can tell what to do. You know, we're in this thing together. The power structure is inverted. Right where we want Jesus. where we, He's got us right where he wants us. I don't know. You can... The, the beautiful thing about the, the, the inverted power structure that Jesus is talking about is you can have this kind of power anywhere. Anywhere you are in life, you can you be the lowest position at your company. You can be on the bottom rung. You can be in a position, you know, where, you know, in your neighborhood, like, you know, maybe everybody is, is, seems to be better than you. Or maybe at school, if you're in high school, maybe you're like a loser and, you know, sort of the bottom of the popularity scale. But guess what? You can have this kind of power that Jesus is talking about anywhere because Jesus flips it. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you be a servant of all. It's interesting. We live in such an interesting culture. Uh, I've been paying attention to this Ray Rice situation with the NFL this week and, and Roger Goodell. And, and I, I heard one guy, uh, you know, everybody has their opinion on this. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, one guy said, you know, Roger Goodell might lose his uh, job as commissioner of the NFL over this situation. And he said, th this commentator said, the irony of it is up to this point, Roger Goodell was known as the most strict commissioner in the history of the NFL. And yet he's probably going to lose his job for not being strict enough. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? That's how this world works. Flip the triangle back, Doug. Go back one. When, when we do this way, Roger Goodell's at the top. But even our politicians, right, have to pander to stay at the top, don't they? 
mean, this is how the power structure works. Those at the top have to, in our democracy, have to sort of be empowered from the ones underneath them to stay at the top. They got to please everyone to stay at the top. And so Roger Goodell did not please everyone. And so even though we don't want the standard applied to ourselves, we're willing to call for his job. That's how it works in the world's thing. But when you flip it upside down, you only have to please Jesus. This is beautiful. Power upside down. There's another concept in Mark that I want to talk about. It's not just power upside down, but it's greatness upside down. Well, Mark chapter 9, flip back. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked... I love the disciples because I just can relate, right? <laughs> All right. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So apparently Jesus, you know, sort of knew they were squabbling behind him as they were walking, but they kept quiet. <laughs> well, I'm not telling him because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. And, you know, I just love it. I like, I can relate to that. So they're like, I know Jesus caught me red-handed. I don't want to confess to him that we were arguing about who was the greatest. And can you just imagine that argument? Mark doesn't fill in the details for us, but you can just sort of imagine that argument there. And so let's not be too hard on the disciples because who doesn't want to be great, right? Don't we all want greatness at some level? And the disciples, they have this history. By the time Jesus calls them, they were, you know, they were all in other jobs. Like, uh, so you, you need to understand something about the Jewish system. The Jewish system was uh, sort of like um, there, were, there, there were rabbis, and, and kids would be trained up in the teaching of the Jewish ways. They'd have to memorize the Torah. They'd have to do all these Jewish structures. But then as you gained farther in the system, they weeded out the dumb ones, right? They weeded out the ones that were no good. And the really good rabbis got first selection of who they wanted their followers to be. And then the, the, sort of the next level. And, and then people who didn't make the cut just had to go get real jobs. And uh, when Jesus called his, his disciples, they were already in real jobs. It's so great. They were at the bottom of the rung. Jesus went and picked the bottom people, the ones that rested rejected. So you could sort of feel for them a little bit. Because they were at the bottom and all of a sudden they had got the most prestigious rabbi who had picked them to follow them and now they're at the top. And so, you know, we, we sort of give them a hard time, but, but just imagine where they had been and what they did and what they walked through. They knew. They were nothing and now they had realized that they're on the team that's going to change the world. Wouldn't you want to know just how great you are? They knew it wasn't the way of Jesus, so they kept quiet. Jesus says then in response, he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He's going to echo that phrase again in chapter 10. And I just can't help but wonder, as Mark was writing this down, as Mark hung out with Peter, this is something Peter stressed over and over again with Mark, that the kingdom of God is about power upside down, but it's also about greatness upside down. And then Jesus says, he grabs this child, right? Verse 36. So he's standing there. To make his point, Jesus was the master illustrator. There's a kid there and he grabs a kid. 
And he sort of, he pulls it in, the text says, right? Pulls this kid in. He took a child and, and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. In Jesus' day, there was absolutely no advantage to welcoming a child. There just wasn't. Our culture is a little child-obsessed. We kind of actually worship our children in our culture, and so uh, sometimes this is hard for us to grasp. But in Jesus' day, there was absolutely no advantage. There was no value to a child in terms of establishing your own greatness. And in fact, welcoming a child in meant more work. I mean, you already probably had to fight just to find food for the day, and now you brought another mouth in to feed. There was no advantage to welcoming a child. But Jesus said, if you welcome one of these little children in my name, you welcome me. You see, greatness, power upside down, greatness upside down. It's all backwards. You see, greatness is not found in being first. At work, do you find yourself trying to do only the things that will make you look good and help you succeed? That will make you great? Are you in, uh, you know, like that popularity contest? Do you find yourself just wanting to be liked by people? Jesus' answer to all of this is saying, power and greatness are flipped upside down. Serve like I am serving you, Jesus says. And serve like I am going to serve you. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. And Jesus, is when he's saying this, is looking forward to the cross. He knows what's coming. The day when he came to be, he looks back to the incarnation and sees the day when he sacrificed to become a human, the God Almighty become a human being. And he's looking forward to the cross when he would serve his very created people by letting them kill him for them. Serve like Jesus. Do the opposite of what you think. Don't try to be great. It's flipped upside down. There's a third area as we read the Gospel of Mark where this, is, this idea is flipped upside down. And, and that third area is in the idea of fame. Fame. We're going to go back to Mark chapter 1 for this one, actually. Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, this is right from the get-go. I mean, I, I told you Mark, Mark jumps into the game and just says, hey, we're skipping this and no introduction here. We're getting right to it. And uh, right, at, right after we get into this, he says, very early in the morning, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, or Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. In other words, Jesus, we have some serious business here to do. If we are going to get you in the position of authority and power that we want you in so you can change the world as we think you do, what we need is media exposure here. Jesus, you can't be alone. We need to get you in front of people so your popularity can gain and so you can be boosted up, so your fame can spread across this whole land so that people can exalt you and put your name up in front so all of a sudden people will be crying out, come be our king, come be our king. Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, I love it. Let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. You see, let's go somewhere else. In other words, 
Jesus is saying, fame is inverted. Fame is inverted in the kingdom of God. It's really fascinating. We keep up, this idea continues. There's something in Mark, there's a theme, you'll notice this when you read through the Gospel of Mark. It's called the Messianic Secret. Uh, Jesus does this often in the book, in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, uh, six or seven more times, he does what he does in verse 44. Chapter 1, verse 44. Um, Jesus heals a man with leprosy, and then he sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Wait a minute. Again, why would Jesus do that? The most appropriate thing for him to do would say, tell everyone so that my popularity, my fame can increase. But Jesus knows. He keeps saying, don't tell. People, by the way, don't listen to him. They say it anyway. Uh, he, he understands that what people are going to try to do with him. Jesus says, I've come for something different. I've come to serve. Jesus turns power and greatness and fame on its head. And in the kingdom of God, fame doesn't make you great. In the kingdom of God, fame goes to the heavenly Father. That is where fame should be. You know, Andy Warhol years ago talked about uh, in the future, everyone will be famous for, what, 15 minutes? Isn't that what he said? The whole whole 15 minutes of fame thing. And boy, do people try to capitalize on it. The Christian serves like Jesus. The Christian draws attention to God, not to ourselves. And Jesus turns power on its head. Greatness comes through service. Being first comes by being last. And the kingdom power comes through humility. Now, you and me should look at this, and this should be daunting. I think it is. Because we don't, at least I don't, normally function in this way. And I look at that and I go, oh, I struggle with this concept. And one of the wonderful things about reading through the Gospel of Mark is what you're going to figure out real quick is that you aren't the only one that struggles with this if you do. And I'm not either. In fact, Mark is quick to remind us that the apostles really struggle with that. In fact, Mark highlights many times where his own mentor, Peter, didn't get it right. Uh, look at chapter 8 real quick. Let me read it for you. This is, this is a great thing. Chapter eight twenty seven. Jesus says to, to Mark, at the centerpiece of Mark's gospel, who do you people say I am? And they were, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, blah, blah, blah. Who do you say I am? Peter says... You are the Christ, the Messiah. I mean, he totally gets it right. And then a few verses later, Jesus is explaining how he's come to die and rise again. And in verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. At the transfiguration, just a few verses later in chapter 9, they go up to the mountain, and up on the mountain, Jesus Jesus is transformed into this beautiful picture of light, and a picture of his glory and his his nature. And, And they're transfigured, in that transfiguration with him, show up Moses and Elijah. And somehow the disciples, they know clearly that this is Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, Rabbi, Verse 5, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, sort sort of like like an altar, a, a point of worship. Let's put up three. 
One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He, <laughs> I love verse like He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter talks before he thinks all the time. Some of you can just really relate to that, you know? Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The voice from heaven points all the glory to Jesus. You see, Peter, again, got it wrong. Later on, chapter 14, Peter would deny Jesus three times after just telling Jesus, hey, I'm with you to the end. And then he denies him. In Gethsemane, Mark highlights how Jesus needed Peter to be with him, but Peter fell asleep. And I love that Mark's view of Peter is just blatantly honest. You know, if Mark were making this up, he'd make Peter look awesome because he wants to highlight the authority of Peter and to say, hey, this guy got it right. You should follow Peter. But Mark doesn't do that because there's a humility that Peter exhibited when he mentored Mark. And I think Peter was quick to tell Mark all the things he did wrong. These stories came right from Peter because Peter after the resurrection, is saying, I don't have to pretend. After, after the resurrection, the women encounter the angels there at the end of Mark. And the angels say to them, after Jesus is raised, they find that there's an empty tomb. And he says, go tell the disciples and Peter, the angel says. It's a picture of restoration. For all the ways that Peter got it wrong and messed it up, for all the ways he exalted himself instead of Jesus, for all the ways he had in mind his own benefit and not the benefit of the kingdom of God, for all the ways he wanted himself at the top of the pyramid instead of at the bottom, for all those ways, God still brings humility and forgiveness to Peter. You may not be very good at this idea of servant leadership, of leading from the bottom. You may have a track record of selfishness and indulgence. Servant leadership may just seem foreign to you. Serve like Jesus might be a million miles from your heart. But Mark learned this from Peter. In the kingdom upside down, there are second chances. God restores those who fail. And he sets us upright again. And maybe you totally missed this idea. You know, maybe in terms of the corporate ladder, you're on the top. And you look down and you've been lording it over everybody. Maybe it's at the bottom and you've been trying to fight people to get up the ladder more and say, you know, get out of my way. I got to do what I can take to get to the top. Wherever you're at on the corporate ladder or the social ladder, you may not have the kingdom of God idea of service right. But it's okay because God is a God of beginnings. God is a God of new beginnings. That's one of the beautiful things that we learned from Mark is that just from as Peter messed it up and messed it up and messed it up, and Peter ends up being restored by Jesus and set out on a mission that Peter is involved with, with changing the world. God is a God of new beginnings. I want to circle back to where, we, where I started the message. I mentioned that Mark starts abruptly. It's very interesting. Look at Mark 1.1. Just flip back to the beginning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the, pre- that's the prelude. Some people have even thought it might be a subtitle. I, I, I kind of like that. 
Why label at the beginning? Isn't it obvious? <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm going to start now. I mean, isn't it obvious? The beginning's the beginning. Why would he do this? Well, there's a couple different views about why Mark did this and why he jumps right in. But I do think that this is a title. This is Mark's title. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, I do believe that Mark is labeling this entire work as the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning. Not just verse 1. Chapter, no, not just chapter 1. Chapters 1 all the way through 16. This work is just the beginning. In other words, Jesus started the kingdom work of being a servant. Jesus' life and resurrection is the beginning. The rest of the story is told by you and me. Mark ends very abruptly. Flip to the end with me. Quick like. Mark ends very abruptly. Uh, chapter 16, verse 8. In fact, it ends so abruptly that at some point, hundreds or thousands of years later, somebody felt an idea to write a better ending. And so in some of your versions, uh, verse, you have verses 9 to 20, which weren't part of the original deal. Uh, it just got in the King James Version at one point very late, and so uh, it was hard for people to exit out totally. So it's included in there, but in the NIV at least, it has a line after verse 8 and says, it, Mark really ends here. And, and listen how it ends. So at verse 6, the angel says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He's risen. See, look, the place where they laid him. Go, tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. The very end of Mark is trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. Like, well, that's a terrible ending, Mark. Like, I would like to take, and that's why somebody added another, you know, uh, 12 verses or so, because they're like, that's a terrible ending. I want a better ending than that. But Mark is making a very clear point. It's like Paul Harvey. Where's the rest of the story? And Mark is saying, you are the rest of the story. This is the beginning. This kingdom upside down. This kingdom where we serve like Jesus. That's the rest of the story. And then Mark is assuming here that everybody knows the, the story of Peter. It's entirely possible that Mark wrote this down soon after Peter was crucified. Church history tells us that, that Peter was crucified upside down so that he wouldn't be crucified like his Savior. And, uh, and while that's not in Scripture, we still have a, a pretty accurate telling of that. It's entirely possible that Mark, Jesus, uh, Peter excuse me, had just been killed. And Mark is writing these things down so that nobody loses them. And he gets this point and everybody would have known Peter gave his life for a kingdom upside down. Peter got it. Everyone knew it. Because Peter had a new beginning. He became the servant of all. Jesus is continuing to build his kingdom. And when you leave Mark, the story is not over. Wherever you are in your life, however much you've grasped or not grasped this kingdom upside down, wherever you have been at, I want you to know today that Peter is telling you through Mark, God is telling you, you too can have a new beginning. You too can have this inverted power structure. 
You too can find greatness by being least. You too can find power in service. You too can exalt the kingdom of God no matter what's happened because of the power of the gospel. And if there's anything that I want you to walk away here from today, it's understanding that this gospel that we talk about all the time, that this idea that Jesus died in, in your place and in my place, that he took on himself the sins that we deserve to take, the punishment that we deserved, he took that and through faith, anybody can have a relationship with him. Anybody can do this. And if you walk away from here understanding that in this kind of beautiful New Beginnings kingdom, that the power structure is inverted and flipped upside down, you too can seek to climb down the ladder, metaphorically, wherever you are, to serve, to find greatness in being the least. You can do this because God is the God of new beginnings. One of my favorite songs we've been singing a lot lately, we're going to close with it today because it's so overwhelming. I just read the Word of God and I, and I think of trying to do this on my own. But we can't. The kingdom of God was not meant to be done alone. We desperately need the power of God. We need Him. Let's pray as we close and then we will worship some more together exalting this God of the kingdom upside down. Heavenly Father, we come to you today confessing that on our own, we cannot do this kind of thing, just like Peter couldn't do it. But through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, for those of us who believe, God, I pray that you would flip our perspective, that you would change this kingdom in our hearts and you would help us to find, to live out greatness for the name of God by flipping our perspective. We pray for your glory in our lives and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray.